episode 156, Rochelle Kitchen, engineer and coach, author of the book, Doubt Your Doubts. And all of those kind of rolled into what I call my biggest mistake that landed me on the bathroom floor one day at work. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Rochelle and her work and her book and more, look for links in the show notes in your podcast app or go to markraven.com slash mistake156. As always, thanks for listening. If you like the episode, please share it with a colleague, post it on social media. We'd really appreciate that. And now on with the episode. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, and our guest today is Rochelle Kitchen. She is an author, a certified professional life and transition coach, an ICF associate certified coach, and a professional speaker. She graduated college with a BS degree in industry and technology and enjoyed a career as an industrial engineer. So that's my background. So a quick hooray for industrial engineers, right, Rochelle? Yes. Um, Rochelle is also, among other things, she's the author of a book titled Doubt Your Doubts, How to Transform Negative Self-Talk, Take Action, and Confidently Create Your Dream Life. And she has a free e-course called Grow, Expand, Thrive, or GET. So we'll talk about that later, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. So uh, Rochelle, I have no doubts that we're going to have a good conversation today. How are you? I'm great, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. So. you know, as we always do here in, in the podcast, I'm asked to dive right in, you know, thinking back to your work and your career, Rochelle, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Gosh, my favorite mistake was kind of a culmination of small little mistakes. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I went through life kind of buying into societal beliefs, cultural beliefs, familiar, um, you know, family beliefs about who I was and how I should show up in the world. And all of those kind of rolled into what I call my biggest mistake that landed me on the bathroom floor one day at work. And here's how things were playing out. I, um, you know, we were, my husband, my then husband and I were um, ready to start a family and I expected and had all these assumptions around, hey, just because you're a career woman, that doesn't mean that you can't have it all. You can expect to have a normal, healthy pregnancy and everything go well and work right up until the time um, you have the baby and then go back to work immediately and you know still flourish in your career. And I'm totally going to date myself here, Mark. There's, there's a, um, I guess I want to say 1970s, 80s commercial. Um, it was selling perfume, Anjali. And if people from our era probably know this, the, the tune, um, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never let your man forget he's a man. Well, I went through high school, young adult life, buying into that stereotype that 
I could be this superwoman. And that just wasn't the case. And so the day that I landed on the bathroom floor, I, um, you know, I had, you know, had a, had a daughter. She was born three months early. She was 24 weeks gestation. Um, I was still working full time in my career. And I realized uh, that mantra that I thought I was living by wasn't working. Hmm. Couldn't do it. So, so tell us more about, you know, kind of what, what, I mean, gosh, ending up on the bathroom floor. I mean, what, what, what were some of, what led to that moment? Was, was it in that moment that was the wake up call? Was it like immediately afterward and thinking about, gosh, how did I, how did I end up on the bathroom floor upset? Yeah, it was in that moment, but what led up to it at the time I was working in industrial engineering and um, that was in the, you know, early 90s. And so I was one of two female engineers in the building, in the whole entire company. Um, and I was the only minority um, engineer. And so naturally in that time, I had a, a, a boss who was in his, you know, early 60s. And um, the guys around me kind of created a somewhat misogynistic environment for me. And I was always asked to plan the departmental social events, like the girly events. Um, I would be asked to take the notes in meetings. And so we were in a team meeting. And yet again, my boss turned to me and said, Rochelle, take the notes. And I was like, well, hey, Kim, you know, this guy sitting right next to me, he's got his pen. He can do it this time. I did it last time. But my boss was very emphatic. And I just put my pen down. It was just like the pot was boiling over with everything that was going on. And just earlier before the meeting, I had gotten a call from my babysitter saying, Hey, something's going on with the baby. I think I might run her over to the ER, or take her to the doctor. I knew I couldn't miss the meeting. So I just gently put my pen down on my yellow legal pad, held it together until I reached the, the bathroom in the back of the shop floor where not mm -hmm. many people go. Not many and, women using the women's room in that time. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I lost it, just mm. lost it. And I, I was on the floor covering my mouth so no one would hear me wail because I felt like I was failing at home. When I was at home, I was worried about work. I wasn't um, doing what I felt I could be doing at work. And just in those moments, wailing on the bathroom floor, that's when it like hit me like, that mantra that you could do it all and be everything to everybody all the time. That's not true. And it certainly, it wasn't working. I mean, on its own, other than, as you point out, you know, being asked to do quote unquote girly tasks instead of treating everybody equally or fairly. I mean, those things aside, was the work itself fulfilling for you at that point in your career or were there concerns about that even? There were concerns about that even because mm -hmm. what I realized, I was very much a people and a connector. And so um, this is, you know, not to paint everyone with a broad brush, but most of the gentlemen that I worked with, um, they came to um, their projects like, hey, I know it all. And here's the solution to whatever problem might have been going on in the production line or on the shop floor. Whereas I was very much the opposite. And I was spending time on the floor talking to the operators, talking to the, the folks who had been working on the line for 
10, 15, 20 plus years and asking them, well, how can it, how can I make this easier for you? And then designing tools and support based on that feedback. And that at the time was kind of frowned upon. Sure. <laughs> I, I had similar experiences in the mid nineties, you know, at General Motors of um, mm-hmm. going out and, um, you know, collaborating with the shop floor operators in a way that wasn't so worried about that distinction between hourly salary, exactly. union, non-union, college educated, high school dropout. Like, you know, at some point, everyone's got a role to play. But, um, you know, that that culture I was experiencing didn't. So beyond angles of, let's say, not respecting women, um, there was certainly in different manufacturing environments, a disrespect, a um, diminishing uh, a disregard for you know, people who didn't have education, that didn't mean they weren't smart. Yeah, exactly. And so when I would bring some of the concerns or ideas back to a team meeting that, hey, you know, Susie or Ed on the shop floor, who's been running that machine for 15 years, here's the issues that they see. And here's how I think we can accommodate that. It was kind of poo-pooed and not taken very seriously. So that's maybe somebody else's favorite mistake story involving not... (laughs) taking that into account. So what, what, I mean, what, what adjustment, well, first off, how, how was your daughter? I mean, there was that ER trip, your daughter. She actually turned out okay. Yeah, she's okay. That's my miracle baby. She's, you know, going to be 28 years old in a few uh, weeks here. And she's, you know, got double masters and finishing up her doctoral program. So she's a superstar. (laughs) That's good to hear. I'm glad to hear she's healthy and, and, and well. Um, so then in terms of your career, I mean, you, you hit this point, what adjustments did you make in terms of either stepping away from work or, you know, your career has, you know, fast forwarding here to 2022, taken a different shape and a different direction. What, what, what happened next after this moment where you realized this isn't working? Yeah, th- there was a series of um, leaps forward, I'll say. So in that moment, when I finally managed to get myself upright and, and presentable to leave the restroom, I just said, okay, what I'm doing is not working and I need to ask for help. And um, so I marched myself right into the president's office and said, hey, look, this isn't working. I know you hired me to do this transition of the business from one location to another. I'm still committed to doing that but how can we do something different based on my situation? Um, and at the time, in the, in, as you probably know, in the mid nineties, uh, satellite work and working from home type opportunities didn't really exist. Um, but I was lucky enough that the president of the company was very open-minded and helped me craft an opportunity where I basically fell into an engineering consulting business with my employer being one of my main customers. And I did that for a number of years. Um, While that relieved some of the pressure, um, it still was problematic because my daughter still had health issues. Um, So then fast forward to my then husband, you know, we were both running for the brass ring and he was able to advance in his career to a point where I didn't necessarily um, need to work. We didn't need financially for me to work. Um, So I eventually let go of what was then IE and associates. And of course, associates were me, the baby and the dog (laughs) and um, became a stay at home 
full-time mom, you know, mm-hmm. I, I call a domestic engineer and, <laughs> and, um, you know, I wasn't just a stay-at-home mom shuttling children. I was, you know, the head of the state PTA. I was treasurer for political action um, in my community and for the state and, you know, in my heavily involved in my kids' opportunities. And so fast forward, and I call these my concentrated chaos years, Mark, because mm-hmm. I, um, my 28-year marriage was crumbling right before my eyes. The kids had grown up and um, were moving, you know, leaving the nest. And um, I had something very traumatic happen. My dad was beaten in the streets of Chicago and died from his injuries a few days later. So I was dealing with that and the marriage falling apart, kids moving out, um, and you sprinkle in a few breast cancer scares of my own. And I was a mess, but I knew I didn't want to go back into engineering. So I was hoping to save my marriage, but I actually saved myself by getting in a relationship with a coach and then realizing that, oh, wow, I can do what she is doing and actually get paid for it. And I do it naturally. And so here I am, coach, author, speaker. Well, it sounds like you identified, as you were saying earlier, when you were doing that engineering work, you recognized that aptitude or tendency to want to work with people in that way, Um, a less technical, more person-centered way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's good that, so thinking back to the other element of your story, asking for help. Um, is a, is a leap sometimes. Like as as adults, we sometimes get conditioned to to not ask for help, um, or that 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 shows weakness or failure. So it's it, you know in in that moment, the fact that you asked for help and then received help, I think is a, be a very open to receiving help. Yeah, I would say yeah. because that was a mistake that um, it took me a long time to. S- reframe and stop making that mistake, thinking that I had to do it all or that I was somehow undeserving or help. And, or as you said, if I had to ask for help, that meant I was failing. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, and it's good that the company president um, offered some help and, and helped you create something that at least at the moment at the time was better um, than, than what you had, because the response also could have been, I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, asking for help doesn't mean you'll get help. Exactly. Um, and they might have told you to toughen up or whatever platitude. Would have yeah. Well, my not. immediate boss, my direct report told me, oh, well, you should have your husband do more so you can focus mm-hmm. more at work. That's some top-notch mansplaining there, right? Yeah. <laughs> At a time, a time before mansplaining was a, a, was a thing. Term. Yeah, uh, it was certainly a thing. It just wasn't identified. <laughs> I don't mean I'm. Not, I, I hope I'm not mansplaining. Mansplaining. Oh, you're not. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um. So you know, as as you you know, as you moved ahead, um, you know, you talked earlier about sort of the idea of letting others define your life or defining expectations. You mentioned society, family. How, how did you come around to this idea of um, defining your own life and, and not just reacting to opportunities that come up, but like setting out and, and, and looking for the boundaries, personal work, other, otherwise, you know, how, how do you define your life um, in, in a more personal, 
intentional way. I think that um, way of thinking or that idea or outlook on life didn't really crack open for me until I got into the coaching relationship and realizing through my own coaching with my coach that I have a choice on how I view every situation, how I view the world, the people in it, and my role in it. And I never had questioned the status quo ever before. It was, you know, if society says you should be doing this, then that's what you should be doing to be successful. If your family says you ought to do this, then that's what you must be doing in order to be seen as, you know, successful and contributing in the way that they think you ought to be. And I just never really questioned that. I certainly had doubts about it, but I never doubted the doubts. <laughs> and that's a, that's a really interesting, that's an interesting way of putting it, even recognizing. Yeah. I mean, recognizing that the status quo, the way it's always been, isn't the way it has to be, mm-hmm. or even recognizing that there were, were, were there at some point doubts that held you back from taking your, your work and your life in that different direction? Absolutely. Um, even when I fell into the engineering consulting business, and I did that all wrong. I didn't register with the state and just had a lot of issues with the, with the business initially. But um, just, you know, being told that women don't own businesses and women won't do well, you won't have the capital, just all of the kind of, you know, standard stuff that you might hear and kind of taking that on as truth. And not and not questioning if that was right. Now I have to say there was probably, for lack of a better description, a friction inside, but I couldn't identify that wait, you know, something inside of me was telling me, well, that's not quite right. But I was ignoring it and not getting curious about what that was to even question it. And that, that made things harder, that um, you know, added added pressure where it didn't need to be. So, um, and I'm sure reflection on all of that is part of what led to the book. And again, the title of the book by Rochelle Kitchen is Doubt Your Doubts, How to Transform Negative Self-Talk, Take Action, and Confidently Create Your Dream Life. So I, I, as, as an author, I love asking other authors, like, what, what was, what was the, the moment of inspiration to say, Here, here's a book idea, and not just I need to write it or I want to write it, but like having the push to, to get the book written and across the finish line? Like what, yeah. what was the, the spark for that? It was really multi-pronged. Part of it was my own journey because this is about that gremlin voice, that menacing voice that we hear in our head that tells us that we're not good enough. So it was really a three-prong. And so I share my story in the book about um, being able to count by fives up to 100 when I was a young child. And my teacher would often call me to the front of the class to do this. And this one particular day I messed up and that mistake earned me a brutal public paddling in front of the whole class. A a math mistake or a behavior mistake? Not a behavior mistake. Not that. I messed up counting by fives. And now looking back at in hindsight, the teacher was probably having me do this because we're close to the bell. She was frazzled. 
And she just wanted to waste some time until we all got the heck out of there. By paddling him. I mean, that, that, paddling. That, 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 that's an unbelievable, I mean, I believe you, but it's an, un, it's a, it's a stunning response to I mean, a paddling. Uh, a paddling. And so my, I, I was living with my grandparents at the time and I went home thinking, oh, grandma's going to let her have it when I tell her what happened. But instead, grandma stood me in front of the mirror and had me practice counting by fives. Now, she didn't do that because she was mean. In fact, it was just the opposite. She wanted me to prevent me from being humiliated and punished in the future. So, I, And so what did that teach me? The message was you have to be perfection, you know, perfect, perfectionism. And that ruled my life for much of my young adult life. And so yeah. that coupled with seeing that happen in my daughter. And then when 2020 hit and the pandemic and people were really looking at, especially my clients were really looking at their lives and their careers and realizing they wanted to make a change. But what kept them from taking the step to do that was often that voice in their head. And then I started to think because in 2020 and coming up to it, we were hearing a lot about still in 2020 and 2021 and still even now how the pay gap between men and women is you know still an issue women in the c suites is still an issue and i started to think wow all of these threads might even have a common theme that is never talked about that maybe women aren't closing the gap as quickly as the stats would suggest because of that gremlin voice, that negative chatter. And that noodling of those threads finally just said, you know what? I think I'm on to something. I'm going to research this and get this book out there. Yeah. And for those who I encourage you to go check out the book on Rochelle's website and on Amazon, there's the illustration of the green gremlin (laughs) (laughs) uh, being kicked. (laughs) Yeah. Kicked to the Um, curb. Yeah. But you know, before we talk more about that, like, I'm, I'm still struck by um, just thinking of that that response of somehow the teacher thinking that that a paddling was acceptable or that paddling would somehow be motivating. And you know, thinking I had to workplaces like when you were starting your career, when I was starting my career, also in the '90s. My goodness, the verbal paddlings mm-hmm. were really common, and and it struck me you know, even early on in my career of wondering, like, how do you, to some of the senior leaders I saw just yelling and belittling people and cursing and blaming yeah. people, like, how, how do you think that's helpful? I just couldn't, I just couldn't understand. I know, but it was, as you said, it was very much commonplace. And again, some of that had to do with their own experiences, their own upbringing, thinking that that was the way to get results. Well, and, and you do hear stories even here in the 2020s, unfortunately, of uh, technology companies and settings where you know people are really well-educated, or you hear about this in healthcare where the verbal paddlings mm-hmm. are still taking place. So I, you know, I want to make sure, you know, it's, it's not just a, uh, a manufacturing culture of the past. I mean, it's still sadly the culture in a lot of organizations today where you'd like to think we would progress beyond that, but it, it seems like there are cycles here where it's somehow perpetuated. You, as you're young in your career, you see 
successful people behaving that way. And I, I, I guess people model that behavior then as, as they. And progress. that's the message is that we get yeah. that we think we should, in order to be a good manager, that's how it's done. And we don't question it. We don't, and we might even have doubts about it deep down. Like, is that really effective? But we don't act or respond in a different way or question the doubts that we have about it because we don't want to be shamed, belittled, and all of the things that might come along with that. So what can people do to under to, to I guess first off see their the doubts in their head and then to acknowledge that? Is there sort of an exercise we can go through? Do we just have to be aware of like, oh wait a minute, there's some negative self-talk bouncing in my head? Yes. Awareness is that critical first step in taking your power back from that that little gremlin in your head. And it really, you want to pay attention to your languaging. Like if you are speaking to yourself in a way that you wouldn't dare speak to someone you really care about, that's kind of a red flag that, oh, wait a minute. Would I talk to my kid or my spouse this way? Mm-hmm. Are you giving yourself, are you giving yourself a verbal paddling? Exactly. In your own head. Exactly. And then pay attention to um, the words that you're using. If you are saying, I have to, I got to, I must, I oughta. Think about the toddler. I often um, equate this to the toddler. When we tell our children, you better do blah, 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 blah. Or you gotta clean your room. What's the reaction? is to not do what they're asked. That's a very human response. <laughs> that's yeah. a human response. Yes. And if yeah. that's how we're speaking to ourselves, that mm-hmm. is a cue that that is the gremlin telling us, you got to do or you ought to blah, 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 based on some belief or you know idea that may not be our own truth. And so I would just say, when you are aware of that, just pause for a second and get curious as to what's behind that and what's going on. And that's then the first step to, to, to kicking that gremlin to the curb, or at least yep. having the gremlin not show up as often. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, and there's a, a wonderful graphic inside Doubt Your Doubts that shows what happens because there's, there's things out there that say, oh, you can be best friends with your inner critic and that gremlin, or you can send it away and banish it forever. But that's simply not true because as human beings, we want to be living in a growth mindset and growing in our lives and our careers. And so growth requires us to move outside of our comfort zone. And so this graphic just shows kind of a concentric um, circles that what's outside of our comfort zone, that's your gremlin's domain. And that's where you're going to find excuses. You're going to be worried about other people's opinions. You're going to find reasons not to move outside of your comfort zone. And that's what your gremlin wants, to get your fanny back inside your comfort zone. But if you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable long enough, you can move into the learning zone where you're going to get into that next step and be able to take responsibility for what's going on. And when I say responsibility, I'm not talking about beating yourself up and blaming yourself as the problem, but your responsibility, your ability to respond differently to that negative self-talk and do something differently that maybe you normally wouldn't do, but that's going to move you one step further. And then obviously the next phase is your growth zone. 
And that's where you realize your dreams and can set new goals. And guess what? When you set new goals, it starts all over. Yes, you've expanded your comfort zone, but now you're going to, if you want to continue to grow, you got to get outside of your comfort zone. And guess who's at the, at the exit? Your little gremlin. Like, hey, get back. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the gremlin is illustrated on the front cover of the book seems small enough and kickable enough. <laughs> it definitely is. Especially if you know what it is and you know that it's yeah. there. Yeah. And going back a couple of minutes ago, I mean, I think, you know, you, you had a clever turn of phrase, I think is worth going back to there when you talked about your responsibility. What I heard you say was your response ability, ability. your ability to respond. Like that's, yes. that's, I think, an interesting thought of, can you, can you elaborate on that? Of like yeah. our ability to choose how we respond to, to, to things that happen to us in our work or in our lives. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. Most of us, when we hear that negative self-talk and that messaging, we react. Just in the moment, we react. And that reaction isn't always in our best interest. But if we know that, wait a minute, is that me talking or is that my gremlin speaking, trying to get me back in my comfort zone? We can then take that responsibility and again, take the moment to be able to respond differently. There's a difference between reacting and responding. And responding is much more empowering and is much more likely to get you the results that you're looking for. And and that reminds me of, um, you know, this might be an influence on you as well, because the book was really popular in the 90s and beyond. Uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Effective Habits. I had a chance to see him speak once. And that was one of my key takeaways of learning to sort of create a more intentional response of having a pause between stimulus and response that we're, yes. we're sort of conditioned or our brain has evolved to be reactive, but we also have the ability to sort of call time out, put a pause in there and let the higher thinking part of our brain respond instead of that more primal reactive part of our brain. How, exactly. Do you have thoughts on how to, other thoughts on how to better develop that habit? Um, I often teach my clients, I, I talk about realizing that you've been hit and then leaning into the feelings. We often don't embrace what we're feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be sad or I shouldn't be worried or I shouldn't feel overwhelmed or whatever the feelings are. And so once you understand and you recognize that, okay, my gremlins on loud and repeat, it's really working me. We pause and be okay with recognizing your feelings, realizing you've been hit, your gremlins knocked you in the back of the head (laughs) and you've been hit and own your feelings. And then that way it, it allows you to work through those in a more healthy way versus, you know, overeating or not getting enough sleep because you're worried. And so just recognizing those feelings. And when after you've done that, then you can more objectively decide what you want to do. And here's the other thing. Recognizing that doing nothing is making a decision. A decision. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to take action. Yeah. Deciding to do nothing for a minute is a decision. Yeah. And, and personally, I've tried to get better at recognizing the moments when I'm just sort of amped up in, in that, that reptile brain 
mm-hmm. is responding. I think back like a decade ago, if you know uh, somebody would say something really nasty in my direction on Twitter, I'd be all amped up and I would reply. <laughs> and I've tried to learn whether it's that or you know occasionally you know, uh, an email situation where I'm agitated of like you know what, take a breath, step away. Mm-hmm. There's no need to respond, or there's no need to respond immediately. You know, mm-hmm. you you can just let it go. Yeah, and the better we get at it, Mark, then we can really start to marry this with our highest values. Like, what value do I want to honor in this moment? And then factor that into okay, now that will help me determine my response, and that's gonna allow you to live a value-based life. It's going to allow you to be fulfilled, happier, and, and move you forward on your own terms. Yeah. And so one other question about, you know, moving forward and, and defining your life, Rochelle, you, you talk about this idea of defining your dream life. You know, how, are, have you made good progress toward that direction? Or do you feel like you're at a point now where you would describe you, you are living your dream life, your best life, as some people would put it? In a lot of areas, I am um, living my my dream life, but but then there's also that space where I'm in that growth zone. Like, wow, I reached this, and so now I want to do this, and and then setting those those new goals. And of course, my gremlin Rachel, I call her. I've named her Rachel because my name is often mispronounced. <laughs> um, but she shows up. But I I, I got her number now. And I recognize her no matter whether she's using her most sneakiest tactics or um, her loudest bullhorn, I recognize her shenanigans and I can go, oh, I see you. I see what's going on here. And again, respond differently and respond accordingly. And so I will admit to the listeners the first time Rochelle and I talked, I made the mistake of saying, hi, Rachel. I didn't, I, I (laughs) I was just saying hi to your gremlin. That's all. She was like, yeah, she was on her chase lounge, you know, filing her nails like, see, see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, I, and so, yeah, small mistake, but at least not publicly. And thank you for gracefully correcting me on that. Like you said, I'm sure that's a daily, it is uh, a daily thing. But um, Rochelle Kitchen, again, has been um, our guest. The book is Doubt Your Doubts. How to Transform Negative Self-Talk, Take Action, and Confidently Create Your Dream Life. I should have mentioned up front, uh, another mistake uh, is uh, I should have mentioned Rochelle's website, which is levelupforlife.coach. And so that's the number four, levelupforlife.coach. There's a link in the show notes. And I encourage people to go check that out and look more about the book. Um, one last thing, uh, Rochelle, tell us a little bit about the free e-course that you're offering. Get, uh, I'm sorry, well, the acronym is GET. It stands for Grow, Expand, and Thrive. Yeah, it's to help you get the results that you're looking for in your life and really helping you see places where you may be being held back, places where you'd like to um, grow and expand, and then giving you a few tools to help you do just that so you can start to move toward that life. And it's a seven day little mini drip course. You can do it within less than 15 minutes a day and, and get some amazing results from that. So I would um, highly encourage and invite everyone to take advantage of that. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for offering that. I hope people will check it out. And again, there'll be links in the show notes. So uh, Rochelle, thank you so much for sharing your favorite mistakes story. Um, thank you for sharing you know, your thoughts and reflections. I think it's really powerful to think about you know, this idea of doubts and um, how we can move beyond that. So I really, really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much, Mark. It was great talking to you. Well, thanks again to Rochelle Kitchen for being our guest today to learn more about her. Again, you can look in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 156. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. 